Hey, Jordan, what's going on? Hey, Rob, what's up? Well, I mean, uh, okay, well, hey, Ken, hello. You're, I know you're there, too. Howdy. You might as well just, yeah. Hey, Ken. Anyway, it's, uh, you know, we're here in the conference room, uh, Insurgents headquarters. You know, I wanted to make sure we, we devoted some time today to continue putting this deck together that we're working on, because, uh, you know, I saw... I saw a friend of the show and uh, Insurgents LLC board member Liz Smith the other day uh, giving some really great ideas um, in the paper of record, talking about Joe Biden's campaign, talking about the different ways that he's going to be able to connect with uh, voters, especially young people, uh, throwing around some really interesting ideas. And I was just really, I, I read this piece and my brain was all the synapses just was firing right away. Really mm -hmm. excited. It was really like get me got me thinking about you know ways that we can kind of contribute to this conversation. Um, so I know we we each kind of put together some different ideas. So we're here now. So I wanted to just like go over some of these ideas we have about about Biden's campaign that we can pitch, and you know maybe hopefully help hopefully help the campaign reach reach out to some people that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, I mean when I saw the the word Fortnite in the story like that oh, yeah. really resonated with me yeah. i was like gee i play Fortnite. That, that's let's do it and that's i think right. back to the success of uh and i i'm sure we all remember where we were when we heard this term but pokemon go to the polls and just like the, the groundswell yeah. of support that yeah. came after that and i think like we need to create moments like that where we intersect uh, pop culture and politics because there's like it's you know it's an undefeated strategy people who do that win it's plain and simple so i think about you know hot sauce in my bag i think about dabbing on ellen and i, yes. I, I i've been spending the weekend thinking about different things that the biden campaign could do um and i just thought that like you know video games are coming out are, are really popular i think uh the world is looking forward to the next halo and I think that just superimposing Biden in Master Chief, uh, that that yep. is just something that we should we should start to play cool. around with. Um, you know, Biden is taking on uh, various uh, villains in space, but ultimately it's a critique of the Space Force. So uh, what do you think Ooh. about that? That is working for me. Okay, yeah. good, good. I like that a lot. I definitely include that in the deck. Uh, we can get some of the interns mocking up some some visuals for that. Fantastic. Um, my idea was it's actually also video game based. I don't know. I don't want to lean too heavily into this, but again, the Fortnite was such a big uh, part of the the pitch earlier that it did kind of get me thinking along that strategy. But I have a different, a little bit of a different approach here. Okay. Uh, what I'm thinking of because you know we we had the idea of projecting Biden into Fortnite, but what you got a whole video game. It's like maybe like a, one of those old school point and click adventures. It's kind of a time traveling thing. Mm -hmm. You got Joe Biden throughout history. Uh, you know, all the different really heroic selfless acts he's committed throughout history. You're able to get into his shoes and participate in that from his perspective. You got like a, you know, you're in South Africa, apartheid South Africa. You got like a Nelson oh. Mandela escort mission, right? Mm -hmm. He's, you know, putting his body on the line. He's he's with MLK Jr. in the in the civil rights movement, marching, kind of protecting him from, oh. you know, outside uh, people that are trying to yeah. harm him. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you're moving off like different different figures throughout history. You got women's suffrage, maybe uh, Biden, you know, being a central figure in that advising people. I'm thinking maybe there's like a segment, uh, you know, he's talking to Chairman Fred Hampton. He's he's telling him about how how like real radicalism really takes the shape more of like 
earned income tax credits and stuff like that. Oh my so it's God, just this whole yes. adventure game. You're going throughout history. You're intervening in these key moments, these key, you know, radical moments of, of real change that we all know Biden has been at the forefront of for his whole career. And you, you have this point and click adventure game. You're in the driver's seat. You're experiencing all that. I think that would really excite people. Oh my God. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So uh, hey, hey guys, could, could I cut in for a second? I don't mean to Inter- interrupt the rifting or the riffing here yeah just one just one second ken uh we're kind of on a roll here we're getting some good for got some good ideas flying around so if you want to just whatever you got going on there just keep it in your pocket for one second i think jordan was just about to about to say something as well another another game so call of duty modern warfare the new Warzone mode super popular right now what if in a a live stream uh biden says the real yeah. call of duty is serving the country <laughs> Yes. What do you think? I think Get that it? already was the theme of those games, actually. But yes, definitely. But but in a, but in a public service yes. context, like for politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Maybe redundant, but I think this. I think it'll work. People are going to see that. All you know, how active gamers can be. And they see that, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I play that game. I get it." And then they're on board. I think it sounds great. I'm totally. I am on board Thank with you. that right away. I'm getting excited to. to you know, get out there to, to push the stuff out there to get get people on board with this. Okay. Ken, did you have, you're being a little quiet. Do you have anything, uh, anything you want to contribute to this? And we're firing off all kinds of pretty solid ideas here. So if you have anything, it'd be great to hear about it. What if Biden just adopted M4A? No. Oh my God. Are you, That'll never work. Are you kidding me right now with this? I mean, that's, that's what you're bringing well, to this? Well, it's very popular. God. Like you think you should just like... You should think you like campaign on popular policies yes. that would like affect people's lives positively and help them materially. Dude, people hate that. No, no, that, that's not working for me. Oh I don't like it. This is why we don't bring interns to meetings. Like what? What? Look, Ken, we are the high paid consultants here. We have all the ins with third way. Like, don't yeah. don't come to us with, oh, maybe we should adopt uh, policies that people like. That's not what wins elections. What wins elections are sound bites. And until you can come with us with sound bites, I don't know why you're participating. In fact, Jordan, like we we talked about doing this meeting. I convinced Jordan to bring you in here to, that it was going to be okay and you were going to contribute. And now I feel I feel like an idiot, frankly, because this well, is... We could do a sound bite. What if we just said, like, um, healthcare is a human right? Oh, my God. No, no. All right, just an idea. Okay, so hello everyone. Hello and welcome to the Insurgents episode. I believe it's episode twenty-two. I didn't check ahead of time. I guess I probably should have. Am I? Is that correct? What episode is this? I don't even know what day it is. It's episode twenty-two. Okay. These things don't matter anymore. You just say it and run with it and assert it. Yeah, it's kind of. Who's going to hold us accountable? People already have been holding us accountable. We actually missed an episode last week because we were like we were kind of going back and forth with the guest trying to reschedule uh and then the whole week just passed i have no like it was friday and i thought it was wednesday or tuesday i have no idea what's going on so uh we do apologize for the the delay in getting this one out but we'll, we're going to do a double episode this week to uh to uh to make up for it but thank you for bearing with us everybody all our beautiful listeners <laughs> yeah we're back i'm happy to be back i missed you all yes yes how are you guys doing um 
it's getting like a little long this whole lockdown isn't it i mean it was kind of a funny kind of a quirky little funny thing we were all doing before and now it's like wow it's over two months now we've been doing this uh starting, I'm starting to, be to feel like weird tom, yeah I'm, I'm starting to feel like tom hanks and castaway where different yeah. inanimate objects are my friends now yeah uh yeah i mean it's been better <laughs> yeah it's exhausting i i have nothing positive or you know anything good to say so i'll just yeah. keep it to myself i have like my daily calendar i have like a I have like a good 90 minutes blocked off or just like pacing uh, mm-hmm. I got another hour or so of just like staring out the window, just like my, my eyes glazing over. Uh, that's kind of my main, main activity that I'm doing right now over at my place. I, sounds fun. I mean, I think <laughs> the, the issue is like, at least for me, it's like frustrated. I'm angry. There's like an isolation component. And it's like, I, I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. And I was talking to someone, like a friend of the show about it. Oh, I'll just keep private. But like, I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. But, like, no one talks about it. Like, no, it's just like, I th- I've just become increasingly blackpilled throughout this entire process. Uh, yeah. Through, like, the lack of response and, and like, people, like, leaders and, and groups not really meeting the moment. And on top of that, all the mental and physical and societal implications of this whole crisis. And it's just like, I don't know, no one is really open about how they feel. And I know it's collective. It's a collective shared sentiment but like everyone's kind of keeping it to themselves and pretending like everything's okay and just like binge watching netflix to kind of like suppress the pain it's really weird i don't know i don't know how to describe it because i feel like we've had like collective crises like this and people have been much more open about how they feel but now no one is really doing it and i don't know if it's like you don't want to stress out other people or put that on other people because you know everyone's dealing with it but it just feels so like even in like our suffering we're isolated if that makes sense one group of people well, is pretty open. I like the politicians that um, our political leaders are just all becoming like existentialists now. And they're like, well, you know, death comes for us all. So really, what, what difference does it <laughs> yeah, make? Right. Yeah. We're all yeah. on the river. We're all on the river sticks and just, you know, floating past <laughs> the uh, the uh, souls of the deceased, if you think about yeah. it. So I mean, being dead or alive, these are just kind of like arbitrary states that we've assigned, man. Like, we really, we're all part of this big collective. And... <laughs> Yeah, so we just open up the open up the WalMarts. That's basically what I'm I'm saying. One of the right wingers who works for like some pro life thing or hosts a pro life podcast and like or sorry anti choice and um, I think writes for some right wings had a couple tweets recently that was just like, why is everyone upset? Like you know everyone's afraid of death like we just need to embrace that's just reality of life and it's just like the same person who crusades <laughs> against a woman's autonomy uh and a woman's right to choose is now just basically because it, it, it would benefit business owners it's just like hey we all die just embrace it it's yeah it's like they just all turned into rust cole from a true detective where he's like <laughs> talking he's what, what was the line he says uh de- death is a gift that or uh light people what is it the, the universe grows great job remembering that one god damn it I'm trying to, it's like it's really funny i, I could literally pick, i mean I, if we can get it right cuomo will say it next week and we can say we predicted it but it was yeah. something like life is gifts to the mother of death or something like that and that's what they're that's where they're all at now wait i'm sorry i have to read this tweet i just saw 
Joe Biden's remarks are interrupted repeatedly by aggressive geese in the background who are honking loudly over him. It's the closest thing to a protest he's faced in months when antagonists interrupted his events and Joe Biden blocked their path and guided them off stage. Uh, team geese on that one. And uh, Ken, the actual quote is, death created time to grow the things that it would kill. There we go. <laughs> yeah, well, you had it, Ken. That's it gonna, right that's gonna be song. the Biden campaign slogan for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like no, you were mentioning off mic as well, Ken. It's like if you have a job and you have like a decent income, and you know you don't feel that real, real precarity that so many people are experiencing right now, you almost feel bad even complaining because it's like, well, what do I have to complain about? You know, I'm stuck in my house with the with. You know, in my case, like with my my family and my kid who I spend time with all day, it's like I have enough to eat. I'm not feeling like I'm going to get evicted or or I'm going to like my life is going to be completely ruined over this. Uh, and yeah, it's it's difficult. Definitely. I'm having a, a bit of a difficult time lately. But like you pointed out, it's like it's hard to <laughs> it, it. You feel like a bit of a dick even like mentioning these things because of how many people are really, really suffering right now and, and like having their whole lives upended. Yeah, in a way, we're the real victims here—the people that you know, <laughs> yeah. still have jobs. Because yeah. uh, to not be able to complain—that is a—that is a very—that is an exquisite cruelty. Yeah, and yeah, I got to tell you, this pandemic has put a little bit of a dent into the podcast numbers as well. So if <laughs> people could go ahead and could go ahead and pick those back up as well, that would be ideal. I feel like the, the hesitancy around complaining, though, from people. Um, no, I kind agree. of I'm also, joking. Yeah, yeah, it kind of results in people i don't know like i don't know a reluctance to even demand yeah. more and better things yeah. um i think it's just it's just like in in a political context i feel like it's like kind of thrusting people into this lane where they're just like accepting mediocrity and like a mediocre tepid response from uh, elected officials and i don't know i just feel like we you, you just now more than ever you have to be as fucking loud and boisterous as possible because like we are in a historic crisis and i don't think that people are really meeting the moment in in terms of relief yeah i think that characterizes this whole i mean you can see very clearly that people who vote democrat um are asking for less now and i think that's a factor that was missing from a lot of the analysis of you know why sanders campaign performed this way when it performed you know another way in 2016 which is that Sanders was coming out of eight years of, you know, Obama being in the White House. And I think a sense that, you know, like, oh, we've sort of tried kind of competent liberalism. Maybe we're comfortable to, you know, take a chance here and, and, and go even farther left. And then after, you know, several years of Trump, the attitude seems to be sort of, um, you know, trauma and kind of like, oh, I don't know if we're, you know, I don't, I don't know if we can ask for that much now. Maybe we should just go back to how it was. And I, I yeah, I think that's counterproductive. Um because you should, I mean, you know, a lot of these things happened because you didn't, um, you weren't able to get more to begin with. Fun, fun times, fun <laughs> times here. That's the word I'd use. Yeah. It's been really great. Um, well, any, in any case, uh, I am happy we've reconvened. I'm happy we're talking and I'm happy, do, happy that you two are doing okay. And I hope all the listeners are hanging in there as well. We've received a bunch of emails from you. Uh, we, we, a couple weeks back, we sent out a call for like, uh, stories about about the things that you've been going through right now with coronavirus and the ways that the pandemic has affected you personally. Uh, you can still feel free to keep emailing those to us. We, I mean, we we are going to compile these into a a newsletter and stuff. But I think that is one of the, also the ways that we have been affected by this is that uh, some of our grand designs for for content and things have kind of had to take a back seat uh, because we're all just like. 
uh, kind of have our hands full with a whole bunch of other stuff that we weren't really anticipating. But uh, the, uh, we are going to be putting that out soon. And there's some really incredible stories of, of ways that this is touching everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I could just go back to my earlier point. It's just like, I feel like people need to be more vocal and direct with their criticism, especially to elected officials. Um, because like I said, like, like you were saying with the um, testimonials and firsthand accounts, people who have reached out to us are, you know, generally not doing great. And in some cases doing uh, pretty terrible and through no fault of their own are, are in really dire straits and no one is really helping them. No one is there to kind of catch them when they fall. And this kind of meager, tepid response we're seeing from the house is just really infuriating me. And well, let's uh, let's let's get into that. Actually, yeah. I did want to. I think that's a good place to start, Jordan, because uh, I gotta say, you 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 do. You mentioned you touched on this earlier. You have seemed, I think, a little bit disillusioned lately, and I think the uh, the the response <sighs> of the House Democrats to this coronavirus uh, pandemic has not been great from where I'm sitting. But do you want to just talk about this this latest relief package and what's in it and and how that's looking and uh, and what your feelings are on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a full rundown of what's in it. Um, it's unwieldy. It's over a thousand pages and they rushed through and, and voted on it in like a day or two. So no one really read it. Um, but generally from report backs and stuff I'm hearing, it's like, you know, a lot of the essential worker bill of rights is in there. Some worker protections. Uh, what was not included was the Congressional Progressive Caucus's uh, big proposal, which was paycheck guarantee, where, you know, if you lose your job, you the government will provide your, your income. Um, I think up to like $100,000 or something like that. And that would keep people afloat who are losing their jobs. And job losses in the United States are like over $30 million now. That is colossal. And and is there that, any more direct payments on the way? Or yeah, is it just still like, the 1200 bucks um, so far? It's Well, it would be another round of that. It would be another 1200 means-tested and that kind of stuff. And that's if the Senate were to approve the House bill as it stands, which they show no sign of doing. The Senate is going to do some judicial appointments this week and then head home for the holiday. So <laughs> for Memorial Day, we got to respect the troops. Um, and what yeah. better way to respect the troops who are typically impacted by this in the same way as, as other people, uh, just ignoring their economic needs, you know, similar to how they do with uh, VA issues and things like that. So uh, you know, they'll go grandstand and, and do rah-rah patriotism for over the weekend for Memorial Day um, and completely ignore the immediate pressing need as we, you know, are careening toward another month uh, without a rent freeze, without substantive economic relief, without real relief for people. Um, and, you know, many people might, this might be the breaking point at the end of the month if people have another month's rent due and no way to pay it. So I, I, I don't know what we'll see. I mean, at some point people are just going to start lashing out you know people need to eat people need to survive and if if you're not helping them access it or if they're not if you're not providing it they need it they're just gonna fucking take it man so i don't know what that's gonna look like um but this indifference and this callous disregard from elected officials uh while people are truly suffering is really disheartening like i yeah disillusion is is one way of putting it just blackpilled as another if you're like extremely online, but just like completely cynical and nihilist about everything anymore because just no one really seems to care. We're in a historic crisis, a historic level of suffering. 33 million people here alone have lost their jobs. 
you know, for many of them, it means losing their insurance, losing income, struggling to even feed themselves, keep a roof over their head, and no one really seems to care. And I, I, it's it's uh, bewildering. And then you have Democratic officials saying this weekend, like, oh, yeah, that House bill we just passed, already, we're willing to compromise on it. Well, what the po- what, <laughs> what the hell? Why would you start at a position of compromise and then say you're willing to compromise? Why not just go as far as left as possible and make them walk you back? That's just like one tactic that, they, that it's, it just never seems to be present in the Democratic establishment. You can make the argument that it's because of corporate influence and things like that. But we just there's there's why why not be tougher? Go out, go all out, balls to the wall, far left as possible, and then make them walk you back. Jordan, you're not putting into account the fact that you know when the Senate rejects this, as they would reject literally any you know proposal the House has, um, and they reject a you know more compromised position, they're going to look really bad to the general public, <laughs> mm, and they yeah. won't be able to come back from that. <laughs> You know, we joke about that. They look that, like hypocrites. But, yeah, right. We joke about that. Like, oh, Got yeah. Him. Yeah, but like, they should, <laughs> like, the Democrats should be much more aggressive in their messaging. To incorporate a left, a left leaning, as far left leaning uh, policy platform as possible, they, the Senate rejects it, and then make them go out and explain to the working people, like, why the Senate Republicans don't want to help you. Hey, we're trying to cover your entire paycheck. They don't want to. And then put, the, put it on them instead of being like, Oh, well, we're trying to meet them in the middle and we're trying to be as moderate as possible. No, like just stand your ground. Like they're just terrible negotiators. Well, that's yeah, the kind the- of odd thing too, from my perspective as well, which is just like, you know, maybe I'm just a, a political amateur. Or I don't know what I'm talking about, but like the Democrats do control the house, right? Is that correct? Like I'm, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> Allegedly. They do, right? <laughs> so so yeah. we're told. So this is what uh, I'm kind of well, wondering. Paper, like, this is not complicated. <laughs> yeah. These bills that they're putting out, it's not like these are the, oh, this is the, this is the best compromise we could get and all this stuff. It's like, you can you can literally do anything. You can do anything you want. Right. Uh, you know, you could pass a bill saying, uh, you know, we're going to give every single person, as many people, like any many progressives in the Democratic Party are saying, I just give people 2000 bucks a month for as long as they need it, right? You could just put that in your bill. Uh, and then if, if that goes to the Senate and the Senate says no, well, then you have an election based on like, well, we're trying to give you money. These guys don't want you to have the money. You know, again, I'm just, I have people kind of roast me all the time. You say, Rob, you're Canadian. You know, you don't understand this stuff. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. But in my view, that's a pretty compelling election message when you say like, we're trying to help you like live and not get thrown in the street. And these other guys are saying, no, no, no. That's a pretty compelling sort of message that you can go out there and run on, run a major election on. But no one really seems too much too interested in that. But I guess that's that that's that twelve D chess and master negotiating that I guess I just don't have, don't quite have the understanding for. <laughs> well, what difference does it make? The Senate's not going to pass it anyways. You might as well have something that rhetorically you can point to as the platform of the party as you're going into election year. Um, you you know you can have the most compromised bill imaginable, and they're just not going to pass it on on, you know, on grounds of either, you know, blocking anything that the Democrats do or just like not wanting to fund literally anything, even just, you know, the most meager uh, COBRA proposals or anything like that. Oh. So I, I really don't see what they lose. Cobra yeah, subsidies. There, aren't they like bailing out lobbying groups and, and, and yeah, pushing COBRA as like a, as an alternative for people that are losing their job, like the 30 million people that are losing their jobs? Yeah. The, the, the issue. So yeah, the, the, the part of the bailout, um, goes to like niche interests like special interest lobbying groups um there's also an exploitable cool. loophole with like a non-profit non-profit structure that like typically is only reserved like typically only used by like lobbyists um and yeah the cobra subsidies 
it's just a, a paltry, just absolutely disgusting, like pithy response. Um, because Cobra, you you take. Can on you the, explain the to me what Cobra cost. is? Because as someone who like yeah. doesn't have to deal with this shit ever, like it's it's completely <sighs> it's so alien and stupid. weird to me. I'm just picturing Don Draper pitching it, and he's like, "What if we had insurance <laughs> for your insurance?" Well, Cobra. Is so like when the insurance con- companies go under, you've got that insurance. <laughs> yeah, and when you lose your job, one thing you can do right away is buy really expensive health insurance, right? Because you have money because you have a job. Wait, no, sorry, I've made. <laughs> That's the thing. Sorry, it's like, right. it's your, it's your healthcare plan that you had. So if I have, um, let's just say Rob insurance, right? Rob Rousseau's insurance. Um, this, that's, that's the yeah. plan. And I, um, lose my job. Cobra allows me to keep that same plan, but instead of paying my premium, my monthly, whatever premium that I would pay out of my paycheck, I now incur the entire cost, including the em- employer share, which in in some cases and i think many cases is more than the you know if you have a bad plan you're you're going to be paying more than your employer i don't know if that's even possible but i'm sure it's out there somewhere but you're paying 100% of the total cost of your plan when in most places you are only paying a, a small portion or in like best case scenario the employer covers 100% of your costs right so cobra then puts all of those costs on you and when you are out of a job, that's even more expensive. It's already more expensive because you're now paying 100% of the cost, no employer share. Cobra puts it all on you. So the subsidy is like whatever the range is. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it ranges. They're just like reducing that cost a little bit. So it's like you're paying, you're paying for more expensive health care when you don't have a job. And the response, instead of saying like, cool, no, healthcare should be free or hey, here's your income or here's whatever, it's... We'll help you cover the cost a little bit. Like it's just like that's their best case scenario. Great, good stuff. So that wasn't like what the most you- concise explanation, but Cobra is fucking atrocious. It's so much. It's so expensive. Is that just yeah. their solution to everything? Is some kind of insured option? Like insurance is like their response to every question. It's amazing. Like, it, you know, healthcare. This. Yep. Education. Like, I don't understand. Well, and that's, and that's, that's right. It's like, uh, I think that's the thing that everyone should be noticing right now, which is that, um, I think the, like the writing is on the wall for like what the priorities of the democratic party sort of leadership is. Uh, you can see it throughout the primary and the the values and priorities that they were pushing. And the the fact that they were so willing to do everything they could to ensure that Bernie would not be the nominee for that exact reason, so we did not go after those the health insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies and these these big kind of private institutions that have become like a big part of um, the, the the American economy. Um, and you can see it in their values now with with the bills that they're putting together. And that's why you know we're having these conversations about like there's this like unity commission and oh who's on the who's on the the Sanders Biden unity commission. And what's that going to mean? But it's like I can't understand why anyone would think that like that's going to lead to any kind of concrete, you know, changes or proposals that are and that anyone in a potential hypothetical Biden administration is going to actually work to implement. I mean, I don't see why anyone would ever believe that or even like spend time thinking about it because it seems pretty fucking obvious what the priorities are of the people that are in charge of the party, which is that they're against pretty much all of these proposals. That was the whole purpose of like the whole last year, basically. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really getting too worked up about who's on what unity commission and what, what findings they're going to have. I'm sure if I'm sure the, the, uh, 
the platform of the of Biden or whoever the fucking Democratic nominee uh, is winds up being if it's not him. Um, I'm sure it's going to be very progressive. There's going to be good stuff in there, and there's they're going to point to that as as things that should excite people. But I don't see why anyone would ever believe that anyone in the in the, like the leadership of the Democratic Party is interested in, in exploring or fighting for any of that stuff anyway. So it's like, it just seems all kind of futile to me. That's the thing. These commissions are really great at kind of assuaging concerns from voters who might be on the fence still. Um, and they offer, you know, this this pot, this visible demonstration of, of unity and things like that. But like you said, the platforms that come out of it, just like the platforms at the Democratic Convention, um, there's no real mechanism to guarantee that any elected official or candidate or nominee or wh- whatever sticks to them. Uh, I had a had a friend joke recently that was just like, yeah, they get ripped up the next day after you have the convention at the DNC, like after they after you establish the platform at the DNC. So it doesn't like that's the thing. Like it's on people and it's on groups to hold if biden wins hold his feet to the fire to actually ensure that these progressive policies get enacted and i understand their skepticism and and you know doubt around around that and i'm I'm, i think i'm part of that crowd i don't i don't know how how consistent ideologically he would be on that kind of stuff so um people need to do the best they can I, i i don't know what to what to tell people who might have doubt uh, about the willingness or likelihood that he would actually enact progressive policies from this commission from the Democratic uh, convention. Um, but then the, for me, then from there, it just goes to judges and workers' rights in cases that would be, um, you know, considered by the National Labor Relations Board or things like that, because he would be in a position to appoint people to those types of positions. That's That's how I think they would get me. Well, Jordan, you're overlooking a little something called the honor system. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and it's like what I've pointed out before. It's like if you, if you really, if you believe in these kind of progressive values in America around healthcare or about, you know, and kind of winding down uh, imperialism, any kind of these big uh, reforms that Sanders was fighting for, the whole point of, of why Sanders had credibility there uh, where no one else really does is because he was planning to actually like take on these industries head on the pharmaceutical industry, the health insurance industry, uh, the military industrial complex. Um, you know, it, it, the idea, it's not just about rhetoric or what's in your, your campaign platform or what you're talking about, but whether you're actually going to take on these big, uh, industries head on and really fight them because that's what it's going to take to actually make these reforms. And regardless of what's going to be in the platform or what's going to what what's going to come out of this unity commission, I don't think anyone should have any uh, illusions that President Joe Biden is going to all of a sudden decide to um, because of, because of a certain unity commission recommendation, like start to dismantle the health insurance industry. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, but frankly. what about what about the psychic force of millions of people just wanting it to happen? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> there's you know quantum physics. I've been hearing some things about. What the power of the mind can <laughs> can exert on matter, so I wouldn't. Are you, it off. How are you two feeling about? Because I I gotta say I've had a hard time um, swallowing like from from Sanders suspending his campaign and kind of immediately endorsing Biden and and kind of really just trying to play ball. That's been really difficult because like I I, I see and I I see what he's doing and I feel like he, he feels like he has no, it seems like he has no choice. 
and he's really trying to do the right thing. He doesn't want to be a spoiler. He wants to help defeat Trump. Um, but it just seems like he's trying to give this sheen or legitimacy to the to the Democratic Party that was so, so hostile to him and who who really like used every resource at their disposal to make sure that he would never come close to like actually touching power. Um, it's been really difficult to see. I mean, it's 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 pretty disillusioning, honestly. It's like he was so close uh, just a couple uh, weeks or months ago now. Uh, and now it just seems like he's been completely beaten back. And it's, I, I, I can't, I can see why people would be so fucking demoralized uh, for people that really felt like he was the guy that was, you know, going to take on this Democratic Party establishment. Um, and, and I think he accurately conveyed to people why the Democratic Party establishment is, he does need to be kind of supplanted and gotten rid of. And then for then to him to just pivot right away to like, no, no, now I'm going to work with these exact people. It's really, it's difficult to see. It's it's kind of painful to, to watch this happen. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, the, the Biden thing makes a little bit more sense because, you know, everyone was taking these oaths to back the nominee to help defeat Trump. And I get that. And Bernie's always been a team player and that kind of stuff. Some of the other things that he's been doing, though, like the one that really, really confused me was the endorsement of Christy Smith in California 25, the special election. This is someone who, in the in the race to replace Katie Hill, Christy Smith made the runoff. And Katie Hill, in 2018, ran on a pretty progressive platform and was backed by a bunch of progressive groups. And then, you know, lost because she was, like, sleeping with her staff, which you just can't do. That's, like, a, that's a power Ideally, dynamic. you want to avoid <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but, never mind. I'm not going to get into the rest of that story. But, yeah, she was sleeping with her staff. And, um... Then, so Christy Smith runs as a moderate, not for Medicare for all, not for getting money out of politics, not for all a litany of progressive values. And this isn't just me saying this. There's a group in California called Courage California, and they rate every California state legislator, the California Senate and the California State Assembly. And she got one of the lowest grades of any Democrat in California, you know pretty blue state and she got one of the lowest possible grades in the california state assembly collectively she has a an f from courage california and i think the score was like in the 40s or 50s out of 100 you know standard report card uh, scale that's how bad she was so it wasn't just like you know she's got a couple missed votes here and there that aren't like aren't aren't fantastic no a, a pretty you know mainstream group in california gave her an f and then Bernie going on the record to validate her, which is just so bizarre. Like she's she's you know got clear c- clear links to like real estate and special interests and corporations, and has taken so much money from different like healthcare groups, um, anti M four A, pretty much anti everything he stands for. And for her to go, him to go on the record and and back her in the run up to the election, it's just so bizarre. Cause it's not like, obviously you don't want that seat to go red and it did. And she lost by double digits just to show how terrible of the campaign she ran. It's not that like, you don't want that state. It's not about like not flipping the state. Like dude, you don't, you don't actually have to actively weigh in. Like there were plenty of people and groups working on that race and backing her. Like, but burn, you've got like, you know, clear, a clear, the like, easily definable ideology. So that one, I think, confused me way more than the Biden thing. Well, I mean, yeah, she made compromises, but that's what you got to do to win. 
So what, what <laughs> yeah, ended up exactly. happening with that election anyway? That's what we're always told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right>. What happened? <laughs> she, was it a landslide or was she went by just like it a was, She lost. She lost by double digits. Yeah. It was a landslide. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So wait, what are we getting out of this deal then? That's, we're told Nothing. that, you know, if yeah. they, yeah, if they back unpopular things, people that want those unpopular things have a lot of money. So it works out. But it's like she got crushed. You know, mm-hmm. far worse than than it's the whole thing is just. I mean, this is like a case study in the debate that we've been litigating since 2016 that apparently will go on for eternity. Um, and you know, because keep relearning the same lesson again and again and again. Well, yeah, every time a DSA candidate, and this is a, po- a point that Paul Blessed made, which I thought I think is a good one. Every time like a DSA candidate or like a Justice Dems candidate loses in an election like this, we get all these think pieces. Be like, see. Yeah. You can't run as a progressive, but here you have a moderate getting getting trounced by double digits. No think pieces, nothing. Yeah, we're just like, oh, oh well. Or we you tried. know, Hillary Clinton losing in 2016. You know, you might think that that <laughs> yeah. might cause them to maybe adjust their thinking or their strategy <laughs> right, somehow. Right, right. But there's literally none of that. There's none right. whatsoever. And it's like we're gonna, it's we're literally gonna run the exact same playbook with a worse candidate. What could possibly go wrong? Right. Um, I think, what do you think about this? Uh, this is kind of something that I've been thinking about over the last week or so. Because um, this is something I think we talked about when this pandemic started, when the economic crisis really started to kick off. You start to wonder, like, is this like the sort of, we always talk about kind of late stage capitalism. Are we really transitioning kind of into something else, into a sort of a different kind of economic system? And it really does seem like that's the way things are headed right now, not just from the Republican or Democrat side, but it seems like both parties are kind of, uh, taking steps to take to like transition into this next phase, whatever it's going to look like. You have Trump talking about like the great transition, and I think you see the you see the Democratic Party uh, priorities as well, which is kind of where they've been going since the Obama era, which is like sort of the neoliberal endgame of of privatizing a lot of these public services and and offloading those to like te- unaccountable tech companies, empowering these kind of Silicon Valley billionaires. The, this technocratic part, this like technocratic elite, like the Democrats, it seems like that's that's their goal. That's what they want to be as a party. They want to be be the party uh, of this kind of technocracy, um, and um, you know it's kind of like a technocratic like libertarianism also. That's that's socially liberal, um, but that outsources all these essential services uh, to these unaccountable tech companies. And it's like that's not that's something we're seeing not just in the United States also, but here in Canada, for instance, like you have Trudeau has made a deal with Amazon. Uh, he's he's been like openly hostile to our postal service workers and is making a deal with the government with Amazon. Uh, I know in in New York they're using this crisis as a way to like oh we're gonna like re we're gonna get like Bill Gates to re envision our whole education system, and it seems like we are kind of transitioning into this new this new uh, uh, era in in American capitalism in global capitalism. And um, I think that's kind of a concerning thing because I think you, Bernie, Bernie was the only one presenting an alternative vision to that. Uh, and obviously they were completely hostile to that, like mo- more public services and more, you know, publicly funded universal programs. That's completely antithetical to like what, where they want to go. Um, and I'm not even sure what that says about the, the Republican Party. It just seems like both parties right now are kind of positioning themselves to uh, kind of finally s- step into this new era and... Um, it's it's like two two bad choices that I think people are being faced with. Like, have you noticed that as well? Well, yeah, we're in, we're in the same debate that we're always locked in. Um, I mean, it feels really tedious at this point because we're hearing all the same arguments. Do I, you know, should should I vote? Should I not vote? So on and so forth. And it's kind of like 
this is the situation you don't want to get in and that you wouldn't be in if you had a, you know, candidate that, um, you know, has some popular support and enthusiasm. Um, so to my mind, this debate is kind of besides the point, you know, um, and I don't see what new arguments people are going to marshal that haven't been used a thousand times before. I mean, how many times have we been through this with, you know, Bush Gore, Bush care? I mean, it's just the same thing again and again. So I don't know. I'm just really exhausted by it all. Yeah. And yeah. you had stories coming out this week about, about Bezos possibly becoming the first trillionaire. Like it's fucking disturbing. And it seems like that's like, there's, there's people in the democratic party that are kind of on board with this, that are, that are just like openly kind of steering everyone towards this future where, where people like Bezos or, or Bill Gates or Elon Musk or these people have this huge amount of power over, over like public services that people rely on. And, uh, yeah. that's, I mean, that's, that's a bad, that's a bad future for America. And it's the democratic party are the ones advancing that. And like, you know, compared to what the Republicans are offering, which is going to be like, you know, an even more racist, even like less illiberal, uh, even more illiberal, uh, vision of that. I mean, it's like, it's two really shitty options that I feel like people are being presented with. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's just like the people in power who are in no way going to suffer from this who aren't going to be like materially impacted uh, by this um, are the ones that have been insisting for years that nothing needs to change everything's fine i mean you've got biden on the record saying nothing will fundamentally change to wealthy donors and now we're going into this crisis where it's where you know we could end up being in a worse opposition than we were in the great depression and the people in power have gotten like extremely rich. We saw like, I mean, I'm, I, I'm actually shocked that the members of Congress who were insider doing insider trading based on their, their knowledge of the pandemic and what was coming um, in like January, I'm shocked that they might actually face consequences. Like Richard, Richard Burr was, you know, served with a warrant by the FBI and his cell phone was taken. And, you know, we might see the same with Loeffler, but the thing is like, that's not because they screwed us over. You know, it's not because they passed a, a bill that made it harder for us to stay, pay our bills or stay afloat or anything like that. They're getting in trouble because they fucked over other rich people. That's why they're in trouble. Insider yeah. trading doesn't really hurt um, uh, the working class that much. I mean, if you, if you, you know, fuck over like a retirement fund, sure. But insider trading, when it comes to people like that, the reason people who get in trouble is because it's fucking over other rich people. It's because they had a leg up on other wealthy and well-connected people. And for Loeffler, I, I would imagine her, her the retaliation against her is going to be even worse because her husband is in charge of the stock exchange and runs it. So you are fucking over like the wealthiest and most powerful and well-connected people in that space, not because they fuck over working people. So I guess I'm shocked. I'm shocked a little bit that the members of Congress are actually getting in trouble, but at the end of the day, it's only because they're fucking over rich people. It doesn't matter about us. Yeah. I mean, if they're, you know, naked enough to go out and do these trades, knowing that this stuff is going to be made public in disclosures, can you imagine what they're doing in, in the part of the finance world that is not required to, you know, disclose things? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is behavior you see when they're accustomed to getting away with anything and everything, I think. Yeah, and the thing that I like, I find this very fucked up. The fact that in the last financial crisis uh, in 08, 
so many people just like never recovered from that. Uh, and so many people just like barely, barely got a leg up uh, throughout that period. While the very, very wealthy did very well after that period, they, they gained more wealth uh, after that period. It was basically just like a big cash grab, a big transfer of wealth upward. And I've always kind of thought, well, surely there's another economic crisis coming and people are not going to just tolerate if there's another just massive transfer of wealth upward. That would be absurd for, to imagine people just you know, standing by while that happened. And like, it's happening. It's happening right now. Uh, both parties seem to be mostly on board with it. Uh, just using this opportunity uh, to to once again raid these the sort of public coffers in America and transfer all the money uh, upwards to the people that don't need it. And it's just kind of stunning. It's stunning that they still are like, that's their solution. It's like, that's their solution to everything. Anytime there's a crisis, uh, we need to make sure that even more uh, of funds are being diverted to the, like, the absolute most, most powerful ghouls in the world. Um, and it's, it's very disillusioning because it's like, you've got to wonder like what, what people's breaking point is going to be for when they're not going to like tolerate this anymore. Um, but it seems like there's there's no real limit to what Americans will put up with, um, and you know I'm not going to talk too much trash about that because I don't think we're much much better here. But it's been it's just like it's weird. It's like this is happening, and there's like it feels like there's just like this powerlessness, and whatever big progressive wave was building over the last four years that was kind of hopefully going to make a big impact, it just seems like everyone is just deflated and demoralized. Everyone has to stay home, and everyone's just kind of watching it happen uh, without really having any recourse or anything they can really do about it. I mean, it's not like you can even go out and protest or do that. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to know what the solution is, but yeah, it does certainly seem like they're taking this opportunity once again to just like strip all the copper wirings out of the, out of the, the, the floorboards before the, before the building completely collapses. Um, not good. It's not a good situation. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to my earlier point. It's just like, <clears throat> like we're 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 down, we're like, we're 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 laying on the ground, helpless, <laughs> and they're just fucking kicking us repeatedly. <laughs> Great. I don't know what to, I mean. It's just like Senate just going home for a week. So what a, what a, what a giant fuck you to the millions of people around the country who are struggling right now. And millions more who who might soon be struggling. I mean, we just see millions of people lose their jobs every week with no signs of, of slowing down or anything. What the fuck are we going to do? And they're just like, oh, yeah, no rush. Here's 1200 bucks a, a month and a half ago, if you have it yet. <laughs> or if you qualify for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand what it's going to take for things to substantively change. And I think that's just because... It, of how the Democratic Party is posturing itself for the election. I just, I don't know. I don't know how people can be right now about the future. Beating Trump is not going to solve the problems that existed before Trump took office. And I did just want to mention, because I'm talking about this kind of transition to the whatever next grotesque phase of American capitalism we're kind of lurching towards right now. I did just want to mention, because I know one of the things we kind of often joke about where it's like, Democrats are kind of allowing this big corporate consolidation. They're empowering these like, these like massive tech companies or or other big corporations uh, under the guise that like well as long as you know we're valuing things like diversity and representation 
and things like that. You know, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to go into this future because it's actually more equal, and it's gonna pr- everyone's gonna prosper from this, uh, as long as you know we've got you know representation in media and representation on the boards of these tech companies and all this stuff. Uh, then it's okay. Um, but I think if you're someone who's like more liberal or a Democrat that that's kind of convinced yourself that this is acceptable, like I would not be too. Uh, I wouldn't get too comfortable with the idea that things like diversity and inclusion are going to continue to be a part of this kind of project, uh, because I think you're going to see a lot of these companies that have that have uh, devoted time to talking about how this is important. Uh, the minute this kind of seems starts to become unprofitable for them, uh, mm-hmm. they're going to move away from all these concepts. Uh, these these are not going to be like immutably part of the, of the whatever economic system is coming forever. You know what I mean? Uh, like for example, I saw a story about Google. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this week, how Google is like moving away, like all the stuff we made fun of for that fired, fired for truth guy, mm-hmm. and his like wacky manifesto. It seems like that seems to be like what the people that are running Google believe in. They're like moving away from talking about diversity. They don't even want to mention it. Uh, so I wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like if I think if people were or have convinced themselves that this is okay because of these kinds of uh, concepts of inclusivity. Um, that are kind of baked into the these the democratic vision for how this is going to work. Uh, I don't think it's a guarantee that that any of this stuff is going to continue to be part of this. Um, so uh, I mean, that's I think people are kind of delusional about this. Yeah, I just it's it's just totally insincere for a vast majority of these companies. I'm sure there's a few out there that are like mission oriented. But I think for a vast majority, it's just to placate people and to kind of posture themselves as like woke and whatnot to, you know, increase sales and, and you know, uh, avoid backlash. But like you said, once it becomes unprofitable or once they find like, you know, a rising tide on the right is is an equal force uh, to, to jeopardize their bottom line, they're going to abandon it. They don't give a shit. They don't believe in anything. Their, their motivation is profit. Their motivation is money. Um, stop treating these 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 companies uh, as as rational ethical actors. They're not. They're absolutely not. They'll manipulate you however they can to get your money. And like I said, like these these problems are not going to go away simply by beating Trump. It's it, we need like structural reform. And it's so funny to see how uh, politicians, especially on the left, talk about the the systemic issues. We have systemic issues in every other fucking field in criminal justice in healthcare, and all these different types of things but when it comes to just like typical economic structure and economic reform like they're they're way more reluctant to to talk about that because you know at the end of the day they want to get rich and i think the close other than like sanders or aoc or omar or talib like the closest you'll get are like is like a katie porter or a uh, elizabeth warren who think that capitalism is bad, but it just needs more rules. And it's like, it's not gonna fix. they'll just find new ways to circumvent them. They'll like lobby to yeah. break them. Like, it's just like, it. no, the whole system is a wash. Just fuck it all. And, you know, no amount of, of, uh, 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 of ideological posturing from, from a corporation is going to ch- substantively change things or make a more equitable society. It's just for advertisements, and it's just to kind of placate you and get your money. Oh, I choose not to be as cynical. I think companies believe what they're saying and <laughs> and emotions. And yeah. yeah. If you cut them, don't they bleed? It, once we once we get to more uh, gender diversity in the, the concentration camp guards, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think then we're really going to be in a more equitable uh, situation. So I don't know what all the cynicism is all about. Uh, just think, all the corporations are telling me we're all in this together. So yeah, yeah. what more do you need to now, hear? Now more than ever, we need to come together <laughs> and buy, buy products. It's the weirdest thing. They are literally legally obligated to you know maximize shareholder returns. Like under the law, they can't do anything else. It's their fiduciary somehow, duty. <laughs> yeah, but some, but somehow they, they, you know, that just doesn't apply to this particular thing. And I just, you know, it sickens me to see people uh, look at it in this very Hobbesian, uh, winner, winner take all manner when it when it's clear that they care about these things. Yeah. And um, I know. So Jordan, a couple a while back, you mentioned how if people are going to start to really feel that desperation, that you, so many millions of people have lost their jobs, they're not getting the support they need to, you know, recover from that. Uh, if if the past is any indication, a lot of these people are just going to be completely left totally behind. Um, I think it's safe to assume that that's kind of where things are going right now. It's a bit scary. And you mentioned when people get desperate, that's when things kind of start to pop off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw a story in the Intercept about how they're like in the government's investing in all these security services. And so, yep. did you see that, Ken? The hold on, I'm just calling it up right now. Yeah, the federal government uh, buys riot gear, increases security funding, oh, citing yeah. coronavirus mean, to, pandemic. Yeah, you talk to law enforcement, military. They're very clear-eyed about the you know possibility of civil unrest. Um, it's just the politicians that aren't going to you know either talk or think about that. Um, it's the media that's not going to talk about that. But the you know authorities that you know, have the, um, responsibility of, um, you know, preventing civil breakdown. They're very, they have a very realistic picture, I think, of what the risks are here. Yeah. And yeah, instead of investing however much money it would be to just make sure everyone has enough money in their pocket to not die. It's like, we're going to take that money and just put it into making sure the police have enough like tanks and military equipment that they can subdue any of these, uh, these like, uh, possible situations of unrest or violence uh, in the most brutal form imaginable doesn't seem like a great path right now that america's on it's uh maybe a little bit concerning i think yeah i mean outside of like just initial backlash with the police um you know whether it's theft or property damage or you know civil unrest things like that outside of that like what would that actually look like and i think you would see a spike in drug and substance abuse because people just need to escape and cope somehow so all of this talk over the past 10 15 years um about the opioid epidemic and how much people care about the opioid epidemic and how we're fighting it well that we saw large spikes in opioid addiction and overdoses and deaths because of the financial crash in 2008 and this is something i've talked about a little bit but you know that impacted me directly and impacted a lot of my friends who some of whom are no longer with us uh because of that and it's just like outside of civil unrest and things like that and theft and whatnot to survive like so-called survival crimes um you're going to see a lot of substance abuse you're going to see a lot of overdoses you're going to see addictions spike and economic personal economic and financial consequences because of that and like this crisis isn't going to manifest strictly along like just just easily televisable uh, lines. You know, it's not going to just going to be like crime here, crime there. It's going to be personal destruction, sometimes self-inflicted because they're trying to escape the grim reality of society. And I just think that it's another way that we're overlooking this 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 crisis and the way 
we are zooming forward to another repeat 2008 we're going to see huge spikes in addictions and deaths and no one is talking about it no one's going to do anything about it yeah that's a factor i think that's really important like we always talk about the pharmaceutical industry and you know how they push these things on people and the very predatory advertising all of which is true but one thing that's not talked about for the same reason you mentioned earlier jordan these structural problems um, is, you know, the possibility that under certain conditions, people may feel as though it's rational to want to escape, escape the, um, you know, hellish reality in, in which they live and, and view, you know, uh, drugs potentially as something that can, that can offer that. And there needs to be an answer or a response to that problem as well. But no one wants to say it because then you've indicted the whole system. Um, you know, not just the economic system, but the social political system that we, um, have as well. And I think it's really hard for people to think, wow, what if for some people, um, this is a choice that makes sense to them. It, what if everything is so bad for many people that, that that's the case? But it's really something we have to face, I think. Um, and that despair you're going to see, they call them deaths of despair. There's good research on this. Deaths of the despair have, incre- have just gradually increased under the neoliberal era and really accelerated after 2008 um, in a way that I don't think is with precedent anywhere else in the Western world. But um, that's a really important sort of framework to look at it. But, um, you know, the guys that run the society, they're not going to want to do that because you can't talk about these sorts of things without um, the recognition that things are really fundamentally broken. Yeah. Uh, none of this adds up to a lot of good stuff. And I think like <laughs> that, that's the scary, that's the scary thing also is that like, we're, we're talking about how things would possibly be still really bad if Biden is able to win. And none of that is even guaranteed. Um, and I know there's a big contrast now. Obama is starting to kind of make more of his presence felt. And obviously Trump is responding to that. He's like, he's starting now this big Obamagate thing, uh, getting everyone riled up talking about that. And um, that's something too, that I think people should not be laughing off. Like I would, like people are saying he doesn't even know what it is and he's just kind of talking, but like, I would not be, if I was like a liberal, I would not be laughing about this. Uh, it is a fishing expedition, obviously. Like they're just trying to see if there's anything that they can get them on. And, uh, you know, if I was in the Obama administration, I, you know, I would be hoping, uh, beyond hope that they crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's, because if there's anything at all, that's, that's untoward that gets turned up in this investigation. I don't think, I don't think anyone should be surprised if that does escalate. Um, and who knows what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, Contrary to washing guns and despair, in the sense that they're being humiliated, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I think that's the ultimately like, really disturbing thing about this election is that I feel like no one on any side is going to accept the result. Um, it's going to be, the turnout is going to be insanely low um, because there's different rules everywhere. Um, it, the whole process is basically illegitimate. I mean, the whole Democratic primary was a sham to begin with. Um, so I just don't, I feel like there's kind of heading towards, America seems like it's heading towards a bit of a reckoning. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like. It does seem like the, there, economically there's a transition to something else that's probably going to be a lot darker and scarier on the horizon. I think that's another thing about this pandemic, too, is it, it seemed maybe at the beginning like it was a possibility to, uh, you know, maybe transition into something better, maybe to leave behind some of the really dark elements of capitalism. But it seems like the, the, the power structures of both parties... The people that hold political power are really determined to ensure that nothing positive actually comes from it. Um, and so it's heading to this this showdown in November. And it's just, I, as I mentioned before, I'm not going to make any more predictions, I think, about this. But 
Uh, I would, I would, I'm certainly not feeling too good about, about Biden's chances. I don't know what the, you know, what's, who's going to accept the result or what the result of what is going to happen because of that. There's, there's plenty of, of, you know, people in America that seem very, very eager to maybe start uh, taking these kind of matters into their own hands. It's it's a very serious powder keg. And you, when you toss in the, the gasoline of this major economic crisis and all these people getting left behind, it really is like a very, very uh, fraught situation with all kinds of terrible possibilities that could possibly come out of it. So, uh, good luck with that. You guys, uh, wish you the best. Um, this will probably be fine. Um, but you know, I'll just be up here from my, like my, my compound (laughs) north of the border. Because saying like, Oh, that's a, that's a damn shame. Nice. Thanks for thinking of us. I guess thoughts and <laughs> prayers from across the border. Yes, yeah, exactly. I'll be sending plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like um, World War Z and you're on the other side of the wall. You're like, hey, guys, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's okay. It'll be fine, everybody. No- nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about it- at all. And no matter what happens, we are going to be, you know, if that is still illegal, you know, breaking it down here and because that's another thing I saw Trump now is still going after these tech companies, the far left tech companies. Like I feel at some point it's just going to be, we're probably just all going to get kicked off of there. Oh yeah. So. Dude. Communist Google. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I mean, I guess that's enough for today. We talked for a little while here. Um, I'm glad I could connect with the two of you again. It was good to talk about this stuff. Uh, do you have anything else you want to sign off with before we get going here? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I like your closing thing. It'll probably be fine. I, I like. Yeah. I'll close with this. This is my motto. It's best not to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think about that. There's that scene in Children of Men when he, the Theo, the main character, goes to visit his cousin or whatever, who goes and collects all the artwork from around the world as everything's collapsing. And at one point, he's just like, "Why are you doing this? Like, why do you care? In a couple of years, like nothing's gonna be here. Why does it matter?" And the guy's just like, "I just try not to think about it." <laughs> it's like, I, I was thinking about the Simpsons scene. It was, uh, it was Lenny and and Carl are talking. What well, this was the episode with um, Frank Grimes, and he's like, "How do you guys live knowing that?" a uh, completely incompetent person is running a nuclear plant that could blow up at any moment. And he's just like, oh, it's best not to think about it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Words of wisdom, words of wisdom, but thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, before we sign off, just remember, please keep reviewing the show over on Apple podcasts. We really enjoy those always very, very helpful with the algorithm and, and that stuff that do hickey, however that works. I'm not sure how it works. <laughs> Uh, keep leaving reviews. Uh, if you can subscribe over on substack.com, uh, that's the insurgents.substack.com. You can make a monthly contribution of $5 or $55 annually over there. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail also, right? Yeah. I always surprise you with that. And then I'm you don't never, know what the, I'm the never number ready is. for it. Let me just look at the number real quick, <laughs> but it's two zero two five seven zero. 4639. Again, you can leave us a voicemail at 202-570-4639. Well, I think that's everything. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you two again. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. We'll be back later on this week. Uh, we've got more great content planned. 
Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> you yeah. two can also say goodbye. Oh, bye. <laughs> All right. Bye, folks. <laughs> that was a downer of an episode. Holy shit. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.